Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of Scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of Scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Seth, how are you this fine day? I mean, it's 100 <laughs> degrees outside. It's so hot. I would call it fine. However, it's freezing cold in the office. This is true. <laughs> so I'm layered up. So I've, I've compensated you correctly. Are, my favorite thing is that you were wearing one of the jean jackets. Uh, from uh, our, it's a from prop our videos. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the, our prop wardrobe. Every pieces. time I forget, like my my hoodie from home or anything yeah. from home, I wear the prop jacket, yeah, which I think is the jacket that the the priest in the Leviticus video who's smashing the light bulbs with a hammer. Uh, I think that's what he's. This, this, is, this, this is, is the is one he's wearing. I'll look for some pieces of glass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like she gets stabbed all of a sudden. Anyway, well, anyway. we are introducing the book of Second Peter. Yep. Today, last week we did First Peter. Yeah. This week we're doing Second Peter, and then in the following weeks we'll go kind of line by line or section through by section. Through First and Second Peter. Through First and Second yeah. Peter. Yeah. Um, what is it about Second Peter that kind of has you excited? Uh, that you feel yeah. like it's not a. It's definitely not a sequel to First Peter, although. It's, it was written next. Yes, as uh, best we can tell. As best we can tell. What has you excited about Second Peter? What two things have me okay. excited about Second Peter? One, Second Peter is talking to a group of people who are really skeptical that Jesus is going to return, mm-hmm. and they believe that the fact that evil continues to remain unabated is proof that God's not powerful or just. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's just a live... It's a live topic. A live thing. Yep. And he's also talking to a people, as we were just talking about off-air, that seem steeped in the opposite direction. So you have mm-hmm. the enemies of God, skeptical that God's coming, but you also have a people who seem to be kind of hyper-involved in the spiritual realities behind the realities. Right. They're like... Lots of... Angel, lots and of talks about nature, angels and, and demons and yeah. divine things, and it's like so. When you have uh, people are really skeptical of something of something that God's going to do, and people hyper bought into maybe an extreme, mm. how do you talk to people in the middle of all that? Yeah. Uh, that's why I'm excited for that. Okay, so why hasn't God come back yet? Why hasn't Jesus come back mm-hmm. yet? And isn't isn't how bad the world is proof? That he might never come back, yeah, is like a, a a conversation a lot of people can get excited about. And then like, there's just this world that you and I typically ignore, mm-hmm. the angelic world, the hyper what's happening behind the scenes, heaven's world. Yes, that Peter feels very familiar with. Very familiar with because his people were very familiar yeah. with it. And I think one of the things that's always difficult in any conversation about almost anything is having a measured conversation where people are invested in the extremes. Mm. We have one people who want to talk about all the weird stuff that happened with the Nephilim in Genesis 6. Right. And other people said, guys, God's not coming back. <laughs> like yeah. those two poles and then trying to s- walk down the middle of those things without triggering either side, Ooh. Peter tries to do for us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what, what's kind of what's the most helpful thing to start our conversation then? Well, that maybe what is Second Peter? Like as Oh, a, like from a genre standpoint. Yes. Okay. Like yeah, what type of literature is this well it's most likely it is a letter written to a group of christians mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of different from first peter in that it doesn't have an addressee so first peter we are told that it's written to these five cities in asia minor and second peter we have a more general opening um may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of god and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So it's it's a little more general. Yeah, but still like a letter that we're used to, to reading. Yes, and it even refers to itself as a letter in Second Peter 3. This is now the second letter that I'm writing mm-hmm. to you, uh, beloved. Yep. Um, and most scholars yep. seem to think that the, se- the first letter is First Peter, and this is the Second Peter, which is probably why they're named First and Second Peter, <laughs> <laughs> which is one of the very helpful times that that, that, that actually that, happens. That, that happens chronologically. Um, so... But there's also like this kind of, I don't want to call it like a subgenre. Uh huh. Uh, but it's also kind of an occasion. Yeah. You know, but it, Peter or the author identifies that he's about to die. 
Yeah, verse 13. I think it's right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder because I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Mm. So Peter knows he's about to die. Yeah. And he this is his last will and testament. This is his last word to the churches that will listen to him. Yeah, which uh, there's, although the... The class, like the the evidence for the classification of this book as a certain kind of genre, as a last will and testament, is spurious. Meaning, there's actually, if you go back in the ancient world, there could have been like a whole genre of books. You could read the last will and testament of all these famous That's people, right. and, and they have a specific style and yeah. you know the well, I want a to read format. The la- yeah, yes. and it's like there's some of that indication here. The last will and testament of Matthew McConaughey. Oh. Yes, please. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so that's like. Not super evident here, but it kind of does follow the idea of yes. these are my last words. Yes. Which is just an interesting way to read this book. Like when I started coming to this letter as like, okay, it's the last thing Peter had to say to the churches that he was like in charge of. Mm-hmm. I think the same way about Jesus' last words at the Last Supper. Yes. It's like there's yes. something special about last words. There really is. Yeah. And whether that's a brand new teaching or the normally the way I think about it is like my summarized life wisdom. Right to you in your given moment. Right. That's second Peter. It's kind of like one of those moments where it's like, uh, so what's the last thing he said to you before he went? You know, it's like a yes a distillation of everything the relationship meant and that one last thing he needs to say to you before you leave. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's just a fun kind of imaginative universe to live in. That's yes. kind of historically accurate too. And presumably then if first Peter was the first letter and mm-hmm. second Peter is the second, it makes sense that it's probably the same audience right. perhaps. Yep. So like, primarily Gentiles who mm-hmm. live scattered throughout Asia Minor or even maybe a broader audience that's both, but right. pretty much the same audience. Yep, like, and and most likely if we're making that assumption from First Peter, these people feel on the outside. They feel exiled. Mm-hmm. They feel like they don't belong in their own cities. They're not able to operate in their cities the way they used to now that they belong to Jesus. Yeah, First Peter focused pretty heavily on the idea of being foreigners mm-hmm. in the nation where you live, particularly because of the way that you live. Mm-hmm. The way of Jesus demands certain ethical and moral behaviors, which puts you on the outside of whatever culture or city that you live in. Right. And so Second Peter's written kind of in the same way. You have people living differently. And then as we'll get to in a second, there are these false teachers telling them, hey, all that Christian living, that Jesus way of life doesn't need to be you don't need to be beholden to that mm. anymore. Yeah. So uh, is there anything we should talk about before we get to the false teachers about kind of the background of this letter? So the audience is the same. Yep. However, there is some, a little bit of debate about how this letter came into being. Right. Because there's a really unique thing about Second Peter in that it has a really strong relationship to the, the letter of Jude. Yeah. I was surprised whenever we started like... Um, buying books and researching yes, this. We're like, okay, we'll get a lot of first and second Peter commentaries. And it's like, no, you can get like a first Peter commentary, and but then, then a lot of second Peter Jude commentaries. Yeah. It's because Jude and second Peter almost follow thought for thought each other. Mm. The ordering of the book of Jude, the wording of the book of Jude, all of that same language, all those same stories are all repeated in second Peter even in the same order, except for one um, uh, once variation where Peter puts it in chronological order uh-huh. rather than the thematic order that Jude puts it in. Right. So yeah. it's like, okay, it's the same arguments being made, the same Old Testament stories being used. Even some of the same turns of phrase. Same turns of phrase being used. They're talking about the same thing. Right. And one of them probably had access to the other's letter. And out of all the study we've done to try to figure out, <laughs> did Jude influence Second Peter or did Second Peter influence Jude? I we I don't have a good answer. Yeah, no one does. No one does. No one does. There's theories on both sides. The the but the thing is, m- pretty much everything we're going to learn about Second Peter doesn't isn't hinged upon who, what what's called like Judine priority yeah, or whatever. Who, who, yeah, you who know. wrote it first? Yeah, who wrote? Yeah, that's, that's yeah, the uh, way to say it. Who wrote yeah. it first? Judine priority, <laughs> uh, which I learned. Jude. I mean, we'll, I should have said this for the Jude podcast, yes. but Jude is a shorthand for Judah, which yeah. is the Hebrew word, but Judas is the Greek word. Yeah, so, interesting. Anyway, Judas. The, the, we Judas. have a, we have the Epistle of Judas. Yeah, no, the no, Epistle don't of quote Judas. me on that. <laughs> yeah, anyway. anyway, I was like, yeah. what? Anyway, yeah, interesting. Um, okay, so yes, there's a relationship that you should be aware of between Second yeah, Peter and, and Jude. And you could go ahead and 
bash your head on the wall to try to figure out who influenced who. Yep. I if think you, the, if you want to go read how many comments we probably read nine commentaries. We, we yeah, anyway. blogs. Anyway, yeah. the real question I think, and I'm going to ask you this question, is Ooh, yay. why? In we only have 66 books of the Bible. Right. We have even fewer New Testament books. Mm-hmm. Why we've been given two books that are feel like shot for shot remakes of one another. Yeah. Like what? Why do we need? two reiterations of the same story um because i feel like the more interesting question to me is like if i believe god is stitching together scripture for the benefit of his people throughout history why do i have the same story twice okay so you're asking because there's two ways to interpret that question okay one is from a a historical perspective right yes uh the other is from a the divine canonizer (laughs) you know god put the books in the bible that he wanted in the bible why did he choose two books that are so similar? Is that the question you're asking? I, I mean, yes. I'm kind of asking both questions, okay. but yeah. I think the second one is more one interesting. Of, one that's more yeah. interesting. I mean, the historicity question, it just goes down to how the books were canonized, right? Which is like, uh, were, you know, did they have the right authority, mm-hmm. right? Did they bear the mark of the spirit? Did they have wide church use? Did mm-hmm. they agree with the rest of scripture? You know, these are the mm-hmm. tests for canonization. Mm-hmm. And apparently both Jude and Second Peter met those tests. Okay. So from a historical perspective, they're both inspired, uh, authoritative books of the Bible that deserved canonization from the church's historical perspective. My other thought there was on a his- history level, the same story probably needs to be told to different types of people. Yes. So it's like, I think Second Peter's primarily written to a Gentile audience, mm-hmm. and I think Jude's primarily written to a Jewish audience. Right. So the same stories and the same information, even the same language, still needs to be contextualized for different people in different places. Yeah, facing different situations. Right. So yes. that, that feels that feels interesting to me as well. Yeah. But but to go to the divine canonizer, you know, why did God put both these books in the in the New Testament is really interesting that and like I think one is clearly the consistent themes of like divine judgment, right? Yeah, a lot of judgment. A lot of judgment in these books uh, is something that God definitely wants us to think about, mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes to uh, handling false teachers, because mm-hmm. both of both you know both of these books are, are addressing false, false teachers. teachers. Yeah. Um, and then I think there's also something about the 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 way that theme is communicated is also very idiosyncratic, unique mm-hmm. to Second Peter and Jude, right? Th- to use like we're, we'll talk about this probably more in the Jude podcast, but to use extra biblical you know, um, uh, resources, books like, yeah. uh, like, like first and second Enoch, you know, yeah. the um, ascension of Moses or the, yeah, testament the, of- yeah, the ascent of Moses or the yeah. testimony of Moses, depending on how you translate it. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, and it's like, okay, but then also like the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and, uh, the Nephilim. And it's like, okay, it's also a bunch of stories. I think as Western evangelicals, we just mm-hmm. tend to skip mm-hmm. or we don't think really have, they don't influence the way I am a Christian today. And I think, I mean, look, take it out of evangelicalism, but I think nobody's <laughs> really meditating on the fire falling on Sodom and Gomorrah, right. except maybe some hyper-fundamentalists. Yeah, nobody's right. talking yeah. about the sons of God mating with the daughters of men and, and like ha- making yeah, theological right. points and about what it. what that has to do with false teachers. Yeah. It's just like, so I think there's something about the Bible storyline, especially with its focus on um, how the divine and the material and, and, and the mortal intertwine and are caught mm-hmm. up in the same drama together. Mm-hmm. How that influences how we think about certain things, especially apparently divine judgment. So I don't know, maybe yeah. because we need to get whacked upside the head twice in order to get it. <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Maybe that's why God put them in both. I think the two contexts is really interesting. Um, yeah. It's all speculation. It's all speculation. Yeah. But I was I was curious. And it's, I mean it's at, good to flag. At the very least, it's like we have a God who wants to communicate to his people in the place that they're at. Yep. So if you're Jew or Gentile, you you need the same message of deliverance and judgment. Mm-hmm. And God's given us authors who are trying to faithfully do that for us. Yeah. It's also from a a Bible meditation standpoint, it's also interesting just to think about repetition. It, when it comes to how the Bible communicates, doesn't have to be superfluous. That oh, like, right. because the Bible says something more than one time, doesn't have to be like, yeah, I already know this. Mm-hmm. It can be like, hold on, I'm putting this here for a purpose so yeah. that you will hit it again, meditate on it, and so it sticks and changes you. It's just yeah. another interesting like meditative yeah. way to think about this. Yeah, the the good news of the God who canonizes. Yes, uh, <laughs> 
is that he has something to teach us and he's willing to do it more than once right to make sure we get the point when god repeats himself it's it's not an accident yes yeah okay um do we want to talk about the false teachers now yeah yeah let's talk about the false teachers okay so false teachers false teachers we spent a ton of time talking about false teachers in first, second, third John. We did. Yeah. As another another time when an epistle is written because of the occasion of interloping teachers in a good lo- I love a good interloper. A, a good interloper <laughs> in a local church community that a prominent apostle is over. Like the yeah. at least the occasion, now not the content, right? But the occasion right. is, similar. is very similar. A prominent apostle uh, shepherding a church in which interloping false teachers have become prominent and messed up their community. And interloping in this sense means people potentially brought up within that community now teaching against what the apostles taught. Yeah, not itinerant. Yes. Where they just were passing through and Mm -hmm. left a trail of destruction in their wake. These were, these people came up within. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really interesting. And so as best you, as best we can, Mm -hmm. like what are some of the defining factors of these, these teachers that were like, yeah. raising up what were they talking about what made what made what occasion of this letter i mean the first thing is the skepticism of a coming final judgment right like that's this really a big deal the skepticism of a coming final judgment and mm-hmm. like they make some pretty decent arguments right like <laughs> yeah. it's, they're not wrong to bring up these things it's so. kind of interesting you're opening second peter uh as you do and find yeah. everything you want to say it's interesting to just think about which is something as a younger bible reader i just never knew was there that Second Peter is going to quote some of the arguments of these teachers in his book and then deconstruct them. Yes. And it's just, I just love that. <laughs> <laughs> the Bible's not afraid of its, of its, uh, yeah. of its detractors. Or, or I think the way to, uh, I think the other way to think about it is like, I think I thought every word in the Bible was from the mouth of God. Uh, and to put a quote from a false teacher in the Bible is just strange. You can't do that. You can't do yeah. that. It's wrong. Right. It's like, yeah, it's wrong, but he's going to tell you why it's wrong. Right. Anyway, it's just like a fun little, a like, fun little thing. there's cool things in our Bible. Yeah, it like undoes some of my like hyper-fundamentalist yes. childhood like tendencies. Like, wait, you could actually engage with a serious topic and it's that's fine too. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so. So skepticism about the coming judgment and. You were talking about some of the arguments they had. Yeah, so this is Second Peter 3, 4. They will say, the false teachers will mm-hmm. say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Mm-hmm. So here's what he's saying. is like, okay, you, we were told that God was coming soon. Mm-hmm. All the apostles said God was coming soon. Jesus said God was coming soon. And all those apostles and Jesus are all dead. Yeah. And like, and, and Peter, Peter, the rock of the church, is, is on his deathbed. His, his sun is setting. Mm-hmm. The apostolic age is coming to an end. Where's Jesus? I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Everything's just going on the way it always has. Yeah. So it's like, it's, doesn't that seem like a good argument against your vision of divine judgment? Right. I think that argument gains strength the longer history tarries, you know, like 2000 years later, that argument's 2000 years stronger. Exactly right. Yes. Exactly right. And I've heard that argument where it's just like, okay, if he was going to come, he would have come by now. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love how Peter answers that. Yes. But. And what I think is embedded in there too is a sense of um, not just like God is not living up to his end of the bargain that the apostles told us to expect. Uh-huh. God's going to come soon. There's also the sense that God's not being the just God you expect him to be. Right. Like this world is continuing in all its darkness and in all of its actions that you call immoral mm. and no one's paying the price for it. Right. You said to expect judgment when people act the way we're acting, but nothing's happening. Uh-huh. That must mean the way that we're acting is fine. Yeah. It must mean that the ethical commands you've been brought to expect actually don't hold any weight anymore and you're just teaching things that you don't need to listen to. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Second Peter 2.18, this is how Peter describes them. They are speaking loud boasts of folly. Mm-hmm. So like they're speaking about things they don't know about and they're claiming to be wise but they're really fools and they enticed by sensual passions of the flesh Mm. and he describes them elsewhere as greedy and sensual and licentious um and after power so these people aren't just like going around being like hey guys jesus is never going to come back it's not just an empty venomless doctrine no they are peddling a licentious sex heavy lifestyle well, yeah, it's like you you believers in Jesus are unnecessarily 
holy holy you're you're repressing your true desires you are Uh living in a way that's damaging to you there's so much freedom and he even calls it like they entice you with a type of freedom Mm -hmm. because um because jesus isn't coming back that's the argument right you can have sex with whoever you want with you can accrue as much money as you want you can live how you want because it's clear god's not coming back yeah i mean look at it from their um their scheme of argument right so they're using a cause and effect like mm-hmm. argument, okay. right? They're saying, I'm having all the sex and licentious behavior I want to have. No punishment. Right. And in fact, look, I'm actually like kind of crushing it. I, I'm happy. I'm doing my thing in this life. It's awesome. Look at you. You're abstaining from all that stuff. You're miserable. You're being oppressed because you look weird and you're, you're, you don't fit in here. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is never going to come back to reward you for it. So yeah. you should at least get what you can now. Yes. You know, they're using this cause and effect argument that's really powerful and persuasive. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what Peter says is that they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption mm-hmm. because whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved. Right. And so Peter's going to make the argument that actually being ruled by sexual desire or sexual freedom mm-hmm. is actually a form of slavery. Yeah. These false teachers are claiming the Christians are slave to their old school morals, <laughs> but they're actually being, as Paul will say, also slaves to the Christ who liberates them. Yeah. But they don't realize how trapped they are because they can't see it. Right. Um, so there's two things I want to do while we're on the topic of false teachers. I want to like back up a little bit. Okay. I want to back up just toward like a, a wider context of mm-hmm. what's going on in the early church. And then I want like, and then I want to back up and just talk about like why are the the, why is this church community expecting god's judgment you know like from Mm. the broad story of the bible is that the expectation that the bible's been building yeah yeah, yeah. and why should they be expecting it you know anyway but like to back up just a little bit of like man that escalated quickly you guys waited like 40 years and you're like oh guess he's not coming back it's like man they really gave up quick well there was this uh there was this sense of imminence of Jesus's return. Yeah. Uh, like they thought he was going to come back days later. Okay. Maybe not a, day, a year later. Okay. Maybe not, maybe at least in 20 years, you know, like, okay, maybe before, maybe, okay. The temple's been destroyed now in 60 yeah. a, or 60, 70. 70 AD. Uh, maybe now, you know, it's like, yeah. no, is he going to tarry forever? You know, it's like, and so there was this heightened expectation that Jesus was going to return before the first Christians died and the first apostles died. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the, that was a huge expectation in the early church. Yeah. And like, yeah. And so as it starts not happening and as a, I want to say too, it's a false expectation. Yeah. Jesus never said he'd be back five years later. No, he just said soon. He said soon. And they had to, and you, I mean, sympathize with them for a little bit. I mean, I definitely sympathize. With exactly. them. I would be like, okay, soon. so I'm going to keep my backpack. I just saw a whole bunch of miracles. Somebody raised from the dead. There's, Let's go. Like, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm speaking in tongues now. Like right. what's happening? Like it's <laughs> happening. <laughs> and so, I mean, I totally get that. And to be a part of that generation that grew up going like, it's tomorrow, it's tomorrow, it's next month, it's next year. Is it next decade? When is it going to happen? Yeah, and then these other teachers come around and they make a really good case for maybe mm-hmm. it never will. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna like at least be a little crushed if not convinced. And think about the social pol- and political cost living like a Christian had in that society. And it's getting more and more expensive. Yeah, in First yeah. Peter, the whole thing is about living as exiles and foreigners and being persecuted for it. You are upholding a way of life. You're living according to morality that's cutting across the grain of Roman culture, and you're being continually ostracized for it. Mm. It makes total sense for a false teacher to come up and say, guys, we've been hamstrung by this Jesus guy for a little too long. Mm-hmm. Like, we are being crushed for no reason. We have ethical commands that don't make sense. And Jesus said he was coming soon. And is 40 years really soon? Is 50 years really soon? Yeah. Is 60 years really soon? Like, that's a. wouldn't you rather blend into the culture a little bit more and enjoy your life? Yeah. It's interesting, too, to think about how like, demons aren't made overnight. You know, like you can, you can see this person growing up in this church, Mm -hmm. hearing these messages and just being like, when's it going to come? Like, you know, he just becomes frustrated. Yes. And then he's like, as he's growing up, he's like not only becoming more and more disenchanted by the, by the Jesus is coming that just continues to be pushed out. He's also now having to pay a high cost for that disenchantment. Yeah. That's just like, the more I live like a Christian, the more 
ostracized I am among my friends mm-hmm. in the marketplace, just like in everyday life. And she's like, it just doesn't seem worth it. So I'm, what, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start thinking a little differently, mm-hmm. you know, and be like, okay, there has to be a better explanation than this. I, I mean, it's an interesting origin story for it these is. false teachers. Yeah. So that's 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 kind of what's going on. That's what's going. That's on. the expectations that people had, and why the this kind of false teaching was able to get, gain a foothold. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it is still yeah. kind of convincing today. I mean, yes. like like that that yeah. power hasn't gone away. Yeah, I think it like like we said the 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 argument has gotten two thousand years stronger, but in a sense, it's also weakened a little bit from another point of view, mm-hmm. which is like we don't necessarily have the expectation that yeah. it's definitely he's coming tomorrow. He has to, right? You know, like we don't have that expectation. Um, Although, I don't know, maybe we should, but yeah. anyway. people It's harder for people to buy into something happening soon because it hasn't happened in so exactly. long. It's a barrier to even accepting the faith rather than a reason to get out of it. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yep. Which is why it's so strong. Which is why it's so strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. The other thing I wanted to back up to is just like, okay, um, they're expecting the second coming. They're expecting that second coming to come with judgment against evil. Why? Ah, like why? why are why are Peter's audience why are these Christians expecting yeah. judgment? Yeah, why? Well, I mean, really, basically, mm. the Old Testament, the Jewish tradition, holds that there will be a final day of judgment against God's enemies. Right. Jesus Himself taught that there would be a coming day of judgment when He would come to judge the earth, and the apostles taught it as well. So, mm-hmm. like, you just have a tradition on tradition, the Jewish tradition. The Jesus tradition, the apostles, all yeah. saying the same thing. Yeah, I almost want to start with Jesus real quick because yeah. I just thought of something. Um, we talked in the intro about how there's like all these divine powers and angels and everything. Mm-hmm. When Jesus talks about the day of judgment, he almost always includes angels. Hmm. And he says, the angels will come and they will gather up the wheat and the chaff. That's right. You know, and like, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, there's, there's, angel, there's angels there. There's angels there yeah. in the judgment <laughs> texts. That's interesting, and he's going to talk about fallen angels here. Anyway, I just want to flag that. So Jesus promises it, mm-hmm. that a day of judgment will come. So why are they expecting judgment? Because Jesus said it would come, mm-hmm. and that the angels would come and separate the wheat from the chaff, and there would be a final day of judgment. And yep. then the apostles built on that. And so they're expecting it because their contemporaries told them it was going to happen. Yeah, and all throughout the Old Testament scripture, yes. you have stories of judgment that aren't just stories of judgment as in like isolated incidents, mm. but they become like paradigmatic or like um, archetypes yes. of judgment. And yes. so Peter mentions three of them in Second Peter. Mm-hmm. He says, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but yes. cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness. There's a whole bunch going on there, but yeah. it, the, the simplest version is it just goes back to Genesis, Genesis 6, 6, where you have the sons of men being punished for their apparently having sex with the daughters of me, women. Or the sons of God sons having of God sex ha- with the, the daughters of men. Yes. So whatever that means, yes. and we'll get to that later. That <laughs> was a, no. a spiritual battle. Yeah. And it's, there was a punishment tied to the fallen angels who did that. Yep. Yeah. And then the very next story in Genesis 6 is the story of Noah mm-hmm. and the flood, which is the very next story Peter picks up right. on. Right. He's like, yeah, he's like, you don't think there's going to be a coming day of judgment? You're talking about the God who did the flood. Yeah. He <laughs> cast down the angels. He did the flood. Yeah. And then he did Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, yeah. These are all stories that are paradigmatic of the type of God that brings mm. justice to the world. Yeah. So you have evil spiritual beings mutilating or abusing women Mm -hmm. punishment punishment you have an evil world that god brings justice to you have an evil city that god brings justice to like that is the god of the old testament and even jesus will use this story of sodom and gomorrah in the same way it's like it would be better for tyre it'll be better than for sodom and gomorrah than tyre and sidon because they refuse the miracles that i showed them yeah yeah, like these are these so are, what, yeah. what what I'm hearing that's really interesting is we have why, why were people expecting it? Why were people expecting a day of judgment in in Second Peter's community? That's my that's my question. Mm-hmm. And there's two answers we've we've given. One, that day has been promised, right? That day yes. has been talked about and promised. The future day coming. Yes, it's going to happen. Everyone's talked about it. And secondly, not less importantly, but secondly, um, that's who God is. He's a God who always judges evil. Mm-hmm. It's just part of his character. It's inevitable that it will happen because that's who God is. Mm-hmm. So you can't have a universe in which God exists 
you know, this God exists. Yeah. The true God exists. A good God. The good God of Israel, you mm-hmm. know, and not have judgment against evil. Right. Which is a strong argument. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. That, and that's, that's his argument. Yeah. And tied with that is the, if there's a certainty, okay, I think I'll, I'm going to back up. Okay. Back up. Back it up. Why must God judge? Oh boy, you backed it way up. But I think this is important because we said like it's part of God's character to judge evil. Like, okay, yeah. Why it is it part of God's character to judge evil? And I think the simplest thing to say is because he is good. Right. He is holy. Like that is an intrinsic characteristic to him. He is good and holy, and evil cannot live near him. Like it can it cannot it cannot coexist. Right. It within the character of God. Right. So when God's presence comes to a place of evil, it must be cast out. It must be destroyed. It must be put away. Darkness yeah, is always overcome by light. It must right. be judged. Right. That's that's why yeah. it has to happen. Yeah, and I think like um, one of the most helpful things for me, because I, I mean, all my cards on the table for our audience here, 15 years ago, uh-huh. I almost deconverted. You know, I, I was in a deconstruction process because of this very issue mm-hmm. of the, it's called the theodicy of, of, yeah. of God, the justice of God. Is God good to punish evil? evil. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I, I all of a sudden realized like, so we live in Oklahoma, mm-hmm. right? And as I was processing this, I, I thought about the Oklahoma city bombing mm-hmm. and, um, I mean, hundreds died I mean, I, I felt the rattle from the bomb uh, awesome. 20 miles away in my elementary That's school. Crazy. I mean, it was nuts. Uh, I mean, that day was stuck in my brain forever. I, I didn't know that. And, I mean, everybody knew somebody who died. You know, mm-hmm. it was a huge event here. The, big, the biggest attack on um, a terrorist attack on American soil until 9-11. Yeah. You know, and so uh, everyone was watching the um, the trial of Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols mm-hmm. or Terry Knuckles, I can't remember. Anyway, yeah. uh, whenever they were tried, they, they couldn't even try them in Oklahoma because right. the, the, they would be ripped right. limb from limb if they yeah. showed if themselves yeah. out in the street. So I think they held the trial in Colorado, if memory serves. They hold the trial. Timothy McVeigh takes a stand and he is explaining with a smile, like a smirk on his face that he did everything, he, he admits to everything, and he did it to stick it to the man. Like it was a political stunt. Okay. And, and he is not sorry and owns up to everything. I mean, chilled, there was a playground in this place, like a daycare center. Dozens of innocent children died in this bombing. I mean, it's horrific, and he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. And he admits to doing everything. If that judge said, you know what, man, I know exactly what you've done, it was wrong. It was wicked. It was evil. Mm-hmm. But I forgive you. You're, mm-hmm. you're free to go. Would we think that judge was loving and kind and compassionate? No, we would think no. he was mentally insane. Yeah. Uh, we would call him corrupt and mm-hmm. wicked. And we don't hold that same standard for God. <laughs> that, <laughs> right. that a good judge calls evil what it is and holds it accountable. Yes. And that's why, like when we say God is good, that's why God must judge wickedness mm-hmm. just because he's good yes goodness is opposed to wickedness you can't be a neutrally good person right like you can't be like i'm a good person you know and then evil confronts you and you do nothing about it Mm -hmm. you're it's the sin of omission yeah god never commits the sin of omission yeah so anyway no no it's good and i think what makes that challenging is like oh yeah the oklahoma city bomber he deserves it i just never deserve it. right you know it's like i think that's why it gets so challenging totally because Man, the way that God talks about the way that people are supposed to live always indicts me. Yeah. And it just doesn't feel fair. But like, I th- it's like if you have a good God, he has to judge in in the favor of goodness and against evil. Yeah. Um, so that's why I think yeah. at least without getting into a full-fledged theodicy model, yeah. Yeah. Um, why what, what, that's why we mean um, it's in the character of God to judge is what we were getting yes. at there. Yeah. yeah. So that's why people were expecting that evil is going to be held accountable. Right. Why? Because there's a good God in the heavens. Right. Well, and I think it's important that we emphasize a good God mm-hmm. because I think a lot of this conversation gets lost be- when we try to, to justify a wrathful God right. as descriptive of God's character. Right. God's inherently wrathful. Right. And God is inherently good. good and good and evil. Like he must, in order to be good, Evil must end. A good person with experiences wrath against evil. Yes. If you're not angry, wrathful against a, the Oklahoma City bombing, 
I would question your goodness. Right. That's exactly right. You, if you're sympathetic towards that or or ambivalent toward it, you're not a very good person. Yes. And so, like, that's why mm-hmm. he's not inherently wrathful, but he shows wrath against evil because he's good. It's his reaction against evil. Yes. 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 So, okay. Anyway, why do we get there? I forgot. <laughs> we got there. We got there because I asked the question: um, Why were? Why was the church that Second Peter is addressing? Why were they expecting a eschatological mm-hmm. second coming right. uh, judgment against wickedness? Right. Well, it's because it's who God is mm-hmm. and because he promised it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But then these interloping false teachers come mm-hmm. in and say, but look at the data. Right. Look at look at what's happening. I don't see him coming anytime soon. Yeah. So okay. live however you want. Right. So what? help me understand then, if that's, if that's what they were, that was their primary mm-hmm. mode of false teaching was like, uh, eschatological skepticism, meaning mm-hmm. the end times are not coming. Yeah. Um, what what else like characterized their their teaching? Uh, we've talked about licentiousness and yeah, free, free living. Yeah, free living. Free, I mean that. I mean that's it. It's like okay, they were skeptical okay. of the final day of the Lord, and they were using that as a way to promote a different ethic than the way of Jesus. Do we know? Is there any internal evidence in Second Peter that we know that they were? licentious free loving sex crazy people who invented no no second coming to get away with it or or did, or, or were they like well since jesus isn't coming let's go party like i mean <laughs> i'm just saying it could go either way right? honestly or it could be a group of disgruntled people within the church yeah, yeah. who are tired of a moral code that seems overly restricted and just and um, ostracizing, ostracizing, right? like yeah. like it just breeds persecution, and there seems to be no life on the other side. Like, right. like, yeah. One way we were we were kind of jokingly talking about this was like, um, and I don't want to draw too many parallels here, yeah. But it kind of a funny way to think about it is like the sec- like from the from the false teachers' perspective, the the Second Peter Church are a bunch of fundamentalists who won't yeah. dance and won't go see movies. Yeah, guys, like. Come on, the, he's yeah. not coming back. Let's just. You go. told me he spent fire and brimstone. None of it happened. None of it happened. I went and saw a rated R movie, and nothing. And happened. nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. So like, who wants to go see the new Fast and the Furious Nine with me? Yeah, Let's right. go. You know, yes. like, it's like kind of a funny way to think about it. It's far more serious than that, right? Well, and that's kind of like, and the, and the Second Peter Church wasn't being fundamentalists anyway. Yeah. It's yeah, it's just interesting. And what's what is so challenging about Second Peter then? is let's just take that little character character is more true than okay. not. So why are we talking about Sodom and Gomorrah again? Like if we have like we we can diminish that and like I think the false teachers are diminishing it, right? Mm-hmm. They're diminishing the second coming, they're diminishing the ethical command. It's not that serious. It's the old guard versus the new guard. Peter comes in and says, okay, let me just take the veil off of what you're really saying for a second. We're actually talking about Sodom and Gomorrah still. Mm-hmm. We're actually talking about judging angels we're actually talking about the flood we're talking about a fire that will consume the world one day yeah we're not we're not talking about your theories about the end of time and how we should live now we're talking about something that's like embedded in history embedded in our god's character and has drastic consequences Mm. let's not take it so lightly Mm. which i think i think that's part of the point that's a really strong point actually that um when, when it comes down to it you can just you can you can come at it logically you know like you just did mm-hmm. that the false teacher's point is completely hypothetical they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow mm-hmm. like while they're saying he's never going to come back he could come back right. you know and it's yeah. just like they don't know what's going to happen the next second um and so it's all speculation it's all hypothetical you reverse that peter's argument is 100% true like it's it's happened it's mm-hmm. occurred Mm-hmm. It's historical. It's verifiable. It's, you know, it's been written down. Yeah. Like that this is how God has acted. And so we can use that to predict future actions mm-hmm. that the wicked will be held accountable. You yeah. are literally trusting absolute fantasy and speculation. Right. Let's not forget that this and, is part of our history. And even if, let's give these people the benefit of the doubt, and somehow they're still holding on to Jesus in some sense of the word. Right. Although yep. Peter does say they are like even denying the one who bought us. Right. So like whatever that means. But for Christians, we don't just have the story of the Nephilim mm. and Noah and the promises of future fire. Yeah. Which by the way, Second Peter is the only book in the New Testament to mention fire at the last day. Oh, really? Yeah, he's only New Testament. There's several in the Old Testament, but uh-huh. he's the only New Testament author to pick up on that. Oh. Um, I think because he 
goes all in on the flood. So he needs the, and God promised never to flood the earth again. Uh, so he has to go in for a different metaphor for judgment. Interesting. Anyway. Um, we don't just have those stories you were saying. Right. We have the cross. Right. We actually have a story of judgment mm-hmm. that Jesus, that God himself willingly undergoes that proves the seriousness of our failure to follow his ethical commands. Yes. Like, man, like, if God is not willing to spare himself the judgment of sin, yes. how how can you claim there will be no future day of sin, especially if you're holding out that Jesus was some, actually somebody to be followed? Yeah, yeah. It's not just something God, God, de- God did to them in the past or mm-hmm. people of a certain city or dispensation. Yeah. It's something God holds to himself mm-hmm. that he takes holding sin uh, accountable so seriously that he's willing to fall under sin's accountability himself on the cross. Yes. And to deny a future day of judgment is actually to deny the past day there of judgment go. on the cross. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. That's really strong. So Second Peter goes all in on the certainty of judgment. Yeah. That's so, happening. Yeah. So why is that good news is the question, right? Because Peter also goes in on the certainty of deliverance. Mm we will not necessarily experience that. Mm. In his little, in Second Peter 2, he makes sure to mention all these characters like Noah, who actually right. didn't die in the flood, yeah. or like Lot, who was righteous and he was looking at the world around him, exhausted by the evil he saw and was spared. Mm. As certain as those moments of divine judgment were, there's certainly divine deliverance available too. Yeah, definitely. God doesn't leave his people without a way of escape. And even as we just talked about the cross of Jesus Christ as being a place of definite judgment. It was also a place of deliverance. Of of, of certain deliverance. (laughs) All who put their faith in Jesus are delivered from that judgment because it's been paid for. Right. The cross is not the whole gospel. The empty tomb is the other side of the coin. Yes. Right. That like as certain as judgment is because Jesus died on the cross so certain is our deliverance because he rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. It's a historical event we can look back to. How do I know mm-hmm. that I'll be delivered on the last day? How do I know that Jesus will return not to judge me, mm-hmm. but to bring me to himself and to raise me up? Mm-hmm. Well, you can use the same logic Peter used, right? Sodom and Gomorrah, the flood, the Nephilim, mm-hmm. you know, that's 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 like the cross. Like that is assurance in the past about judgment. But the empty tomb and Noah and Lot, like mm-hmm. those are assurances that God also rescues. And you can look to them and know mm-hmm. that no matter what judgment comes against this world, if you have put your trust in Jesus, like you will assuredly be delivered. Mm-hmm. That's good news. It's good news. And with that, so let's land the plane here. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not just about, it's, as we keep saying, this future deliverance, but the ethical life, the lifestyle of the false teachers is compared in Second Peter with the lifestyle of those who follow Jesus. It opens with that. It's like right. Peter yes. says a list of virtues. A list of virtues like uh, supplement your faith with virtue, with virtue knowledge, knowledge self control, self control steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. Because if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they not only keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful for our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, but they'll prevent us from being blind. Therefore, be more diligent to confirm your calling and election. So one of the things he's doing here is like these false teachers are saying, live however you want. The last day is not coming. Peter comes and say, no, live this way and know the last day is coming. Yes. And the more you live this way, the more you're confirming to yourself that that last day is coming, that you'll be a part of the delivered ones. Of the delivered ones. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, yeah. I also want to ask another question. Yeah. Are you done landing that? I'm land- I've landed. So, but why is God judging the wicked good news in itself? Not, not that we will be delivered from that judgment, mm-hmm. which is good news. It is good news. But why is the fact that G- that Jesus will return to judge wickedness in itself good news? He, you know, especially when it comes to Second Peter. Right. Well, if it's, I wonder how the false teachings of these these false teachers were like perceived. Mm. Like, was it a threat to them? Did they feel scared by it? Did they feel like enticed by it? Mm-hmm. So the judgment of the false teachers would like solve that problem, right? Yep. If like Peter's community was just overwhelmed with sadness and yeah. sorrow and despair, right? The news that evil will be punished reverses their despair, right? It reverses 
however they felt in the wake of those false teachings. Mm-hmm. But on like a more meta note, like the judgment of evil is good news because there'll be no more bombers in heaven. Right. There'll be no more rapists in heaven. Right. No more abusers in heaven. Like, yes. Justice will be done, finally. Yeah. And it won't be heaven unless that takes place. Yes. Yeah. Heaven isn't really heaven if there's bombers in it. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, totally. I completely agree with that. I think I'm, I'm, I'm also thinking about the opening of Second Peter where uh, he talks about the fact that we can be partakers of the divine nature through Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about that more when we go through it. But there's a second part to that sentence, which is having escaped the world and like the, like mm-hmm. the sinful corruption of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, that is there, there's, there's punishment in that there. Like, there's deliverance in that we've escaped the sinful corruption of this mm-hmm. world, but how, because that sinful world has been judged. Like Jesus judged sin on the cross. He defeated sin on the cross, the sinful mm-hmm. corruption. He squelched on the cross and mm-hmm. bound its power. Uh, so that we can be delivered from it to live virtuous lives, you know, that have brotherly affection and love and that list of virtues you read. Right, because a world overrun by evil has no place for those for those virtues to thrive. Exactly right. right. And so in a in a already not yet we, we like the in the not yet way, sin will be judged, you yeah. know, in the future. But it's also good news that sin has been judged. That right. that Jesus has judged sin on the cross and offered us a way to be freed from its prevailing power over us. Right, because, uh, and he says it multiple times, like the passions that these other people are drawn toward, don't be that way. It's like one part of the good news too, is that because evil has been judged in our own hearts through faith in Jesus, we now have the ability to live virtuous lives that are more and more confirmed about the goodness of God's second coming. Like, yes. And that he will come finally to judge those things. Yes. Like, not, the good news is not only that we will be delivered, but that we have been delivered. Mm-hmm. Not only that the sin will be judged, but it has been judged. Yeah. Um, and that's that's really good news. Um, so yeah, I think that that's all really helpful. Um, what I like about this is like, I think when I normally think about um, Jesus dying on the cross for us, there's always like this fairly forensic element that I think we have like often talked about. Like, well, what about the kingdom? What about being a new humanity? And like, how do those things work out? One thing I haven't really reflected on is how the erasure of evil. The what? The erasure of evil, like the ending of evil, oh, the yes. judgment of evil. Yes. Um, in like this eschatological end time sense. Uh-huh goes backward and informs what the cross is doing. Yes. Do you know what I mean? You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah. I haven't thought about in a while why it's good news that we have sin being judged in Jesus because that marks an ending of evil, mm-hmm. which prevents me from being good in the world. <laughs> you yes, know, it's like, like yes. I haven't thought about that dynamic before. Like, yeah. not the, just the substitution of God on my behalf, right. But like that, that erasure of evil in my heart that allows me to be virtuous, that allows me to expect in hope Jesus's final coming and my deliverance in that final coming and not being included in the evil that I would have been otherwise. Right. I think for everyone to really understand what you're getting at and, yeah. and, and be touched by it, we kind of have to explain the fact that this goes against um, a worldview that we all probably inhabit, uh-huh. which is... Let's look at this list of, of virtues that Second Peter, you know, mm-hmm. has here uh, to live like a virtuous life with knowledge and self-control and godliness Loyalty and, and brotherly affection. These are things I could choose to do. I could choose to be this kind of person mm-hmm. on my own. That's the worldview we have, that mm-hmm. in any given moment, I have the moral uh, capacity mm-hmm. to do something truly morally good, truly morally evil, or even possibly truly morally neutral. Mm-hmm. Right. I have that. We, we believe we have that capacity. You know, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's called liberty, like, uh, yeah. well, I mean, libertarian free will is what it's well, called. Paul, uh, Peter just says it. He's like, we're but the reality is we're slaves to corruption. We think we have yes, freedom. That's it. But we're slaves to corruption. Yes. We think we're capable of these things, but we're slaves to our passions. Without the cross, what you have is you don't have this ability to do good or neutral or maybe sometimes choose evil. Mm-hmm. Without the cross, we are all slaves to the corrupting power of sin. There's this pa- sin is not just something you do, right? It's a power that exists in the world, right? Right. Which is another reason why there's all these spiritual powers exactly in this letter. Exactly right. And and and, and so, um, before the cross, 
there was only we only had the ability to do wrong without the impartation of like like the work of the spirit or um, the like instruction of the law. All of these things were trying to help us navigate a world that was full of corruption. Mm-hmm. And it's not until Jesus defeats sin on the cross, makes us holy temples mm-hmm. in which he can indwell with his spirit that we can actually navigate the world and do good for the first time. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, that's why it's good news that sin is judged at the cross is right. because now we actually have a freedom mm-hmm. that we always thought we had. I thought I could choose to do good, yeah. but it was actually always evil. And I thought my good things were truly good. But they weren't. But yeah. now they can be. Redem- like we talked about redemptive love yeah. in the first time. Like redemptively good things can actually happen in the world now. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, lots of good news there. Is there anything else as you're kind of thinking about, if you were thinking about Second Peter as a story, you know, like mm-hmm. from a total introduction standpoint that you're like, man, we just didn't quite touch on that. Or do you feel like we've, We've done a good job kind of covering well, I mean, our bases. I mean, this final words. Therefore, beloved, since you are writing uh, for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at, and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I bring <laughs> up that last line is like, okay, we just talked about being able to be without spot or blemish before the Lord. But one of the reasons why God hasn't come back yet isn't because he's asleep at the wheel. Mm-hmm. It's because he's being patient with us. Mm-hmm. He's being merciful and giving us time to be more like him, to give up our evil, to fall on the feet of Jesus. Like count the patience of God as salvation. It's not proof that the Antichrist are right. Right. It's proof the that false God, teachers. the false teachers, yeah. the false teachers are right. Sorry. We're Second still in first, first John. <laughs> it's not, it's yeah. It's not proof that the false teachers are right. It's proof that God is saving you. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point to land on is we've talked a lot about like, so why isn't Jesus back yet? Mm-hmm. And the reason First Peter gives is that he longs for everyone to come to repentance. Jesus, or God doesn't want people to to perish. He wants them to be saved. And so the reason he hasn't come back yet is because there's more people he wants to mm-hmm. save. Like, that's good news. His patience is salvation. His patience is salvation. The fact that he hasn't come back yet, we think is putting off salvation. No, Mm -hmm. it is expanding what salvation encompasses. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay, 2 Peter. That's 2 Peter. There we go. So next up, like you said, is going to be a walkthrough first in 2 Peter, kind of verse by verse. Yep. So we're just going to rewind the clock back to 1 Peter chapter 1. Going back to being exiles. And we're going to walk through that, and it's going to be awesome. I'm very excited about that. Okay. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.